Welcome to Open Minds UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I have with me Mr. Martin Super Duper Willis. Oh, I think you called me that before. Oh, yes. And Several yes, times, it's, because it's true. Yeah. You're just uh, out there doing it, you know, keeping busy, doing some amazing stuff. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Busy guy. Yes. You are a busy guy yourself. On I the am. road a lot and all that. All over the place. and Living the life, as they say. That's right. I'm super excited, by the way, uh, for today's interview. It's Nick Pope. Um, and that was kind of funny because, you know, he had uh, gotten these documents about uh, ATIP and everything. And uh, you were like, hey, you should get Nick. And I was like, I already scheduled. So yeah, we're just right. showing how we think alike. Yeah. But, uh, yes. So it... it is great because he he clarifies about these documents he got from the government because of FOIA, but not through FOIA. And uh, we'll have him explain that because the people who actually FOIA'd it were the uh, Federation of American Scientists. But uh, we'll go through all of that and what is important about these documents and uh, how they once again, you know, um, support officially what Lou Elizondo has been saying about the program he worked with. Now, the media and mainstream has not had really any doubts, it doesn't seem, but uh, certain UFO researchers do, which is weird, <laughs> mm. in my humble opinion. I just think it's... And we talk about this, about how weird um, kind of the UFO research uh, community's reaction has been to all of this. I think... Uh, our offline conversations are probably more interesting about it, but um, <laughs> our online ones sure. are maybe more yeah. colorful. Our online mm. ones are, are still very interesting, I think, and insightful. Mm -hmm. Nick always is. Mm. Well, that's great. Looking forward to listening to that. Uh, that those documents are pretty interesting. They for are, sure. For sure. Yeah. Mm. So before we get to the show, though, of course, we have you on to talk about UFO news and uh, what bit of news would you like to talk about first, my friend? Well, I grabbed this from um, on a link from the openminds.tv mm, That's a great website. site. Great website. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Wow. And uh, it, it's an article from sciencenews.org, and the title to this is, It's time to start thinking the search for ET seriously, astronomers say. Mm. And some scientists are pushing for NASA to make looking for alien technology, an official goal. So this astronomer uh, in particular that is pushing this, his name is Jason Wright. He's been around uh, not that long, only since 2014. And he's determined um, to make something happen with this. He uh, set up a little, uh, a little mini meeting at the American Ast Astronomical Society 
in January. Um, he had a, a little tiny room and he got some people together and out to plot a course into putting um, the scientific field known as SETI on NASA's agenda. That's what he's looking to do. And so they're writing a series of papers arguing that scientists should be searching the universe for techno signatures. And that's any sign of alien technology um, from radio signals to waste heat. Now, I didn't realize they searched for more than just radio signals. And that that makes a lot more sense to me because, you know, searching for other signs of life, you know, we've you and I have had that discussion before, whether, you know, radio waves is something that would even be used for, by another intelligent technology. We have no idea, no idea. They could be using whatever, things we don't even understand. Um, so, and, uh, well, as a lot of people know, NASA started in, uh, NASA started funding SETI, uh, the SETI program in 1992, and it didn't even last a year because it was uh, canceled by uh, skepticism in Congress. So private organizations picked up the baton, including the SETI Institute, founded in Mountain View, California, in 1985 by Jill, astronomer Jill Totter. Also, um, in, in 2015, the Russian billionaires Yuri and Yulia Milner launched uh, breakthrough initiatives to join the hunt for ET uh, with um, those little, um, I'm trying to remember what they're, solar solar kites, little miniature things. Or, yeah, little solar, yeah. what do they call them? Solar sail. That's what it is, yeah. And little tiny things. Mm-hmm. And, well, anyway, the thing that, uh, you know, I kind of stood out to me, it says in the last five, this article goes on to say in the last five years, scientists' attitudes toward the search for intelligent life have been changing. It's good to hear. Wright says SETI used, uh, used to have a giggle factor raising images of little green men and uh, talking about SETI work as an astronomer was considered taboo, if not for academic suicide. Can you imagine that? Now, not so much. And he is quoted here. I have the pop sociology theory that the assertion of uh, geek culture has something to do with it. I think that's pretty funny. Uh, Wright says now um, it's like all the top movies are going to comic books and science fiction. Uh, he ends this, uh, this article ends, Astro, uh, astrobiology and the search for life has become such a big part of what NASA does. Uh, the fact that it won't look for intelligent life has become ever more incongruous with its other activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a misconception that, you know, the SETI Institute, uh, who Jill Tarter uh, represents, and Seth Shostak, uh, who listened for radio signals, that uh, that is SETI, and that's all they do, but they don't. As you said here, you know, SETI is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and although the SETI Institute is really married to this idea of radio signals, although their ideas are expanding, uh, there are other scientists who, in fact, there are scientists who have questioned this whole, uh, you know, method of doing it since the beginning. But uh, right. there are other scientists with other ideas. And you know what I really like about this article, because I was not familiar with this term prior to it, was, uh, what was that, techno um, signal? Techno signatures. Yeah, techno, techno. signatures. And mm-hmm. I think that's a 
better, more broad turn showing, you know, looking mm-hmm. for other signatures of technology. Right, right. And I, you know, with the, we have what the James Webb, is that what it is, that mm-hmm. satellite going up? Um, that may, you know, we may have some major breakthroughs once that baby gets up there and running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, the whole search for, or the, the, looking for heat and that's something i think mark d'antonio has talked about before uh, who is a photo uh, and video analyst for mufon and also an astronomer he's talked about you know all these other signatures that give you an indication that there could be uh, an advanced civilization and mm. uh one interesting aspect of that is you know some people like uh, you know even um, the famous scientist um, Stephen Hawking talked about: we should try to be silent. We don't want them, any, you know, ETs to find us. They might hurt us. But uh, Mark makes a great point in that it's way too late for that. I mean, and besides, they most likely already have. I mean, possibly yeah. already have. But you know, we are sending out, we are sending out all types of signs. And I'm, yeah, you know, just think of it this way: we're going to pro- probably be able to figure it out by eventually by looking out there well why can't they look here and see yeah. you know what a what we're all the gases we're putting up there and, you and, uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> but i mean good one yeah good one. there's yeah the heat signatures i mean we yeah. make the planet hotter not just talking about global warming uh which man is uh inducing but uh also you know just that the heat generated by our houses or by uh, the electricity that we create, all of these other things. So uh, these create a hit heat signature. The gases, like you mes- mentioned, of course, we're lit up Guessing. like a Christmas tree mm-hmm. um, with the light. We're sending out various yeah. signals. So there's a number of ways that we're just broadcasting, hey, look at us, we're here. So um, we it's can't cool. hide. Mm. Yeah. So it's great, you know, that there are these scientists because there's this guy first, and then there was that Columbo scientist right. who spoke at SETI who said, hey, you know, we need to take this seriously. And any uh, potential that uh, shows that we may be dealing with an extraterrestrial civilization visiting us, we need to take seriously and look into and not just mm-hmm. laugh it off. And uh, his uh, argument or his paper was taken very well um, by the SETI group, it seems like. Even Seth Shostak said it sounded there was a lot of reason to it, uh, which was interesting for him to say. Uh, right. Although he certainly didn't appreciate the the media completely getting the story wrong, pretty much when they reported on him. Yeah, they. I think they. Um, I think it was that the the article titles that went out there. Mm-hmm. You know, the headlines of uh, the article were kind of misleading in a couple of them, and yeah, that got him riled up. I think. Yeah, yeah, it got. It's an embarrassing situation. I mean. Uh, sometimes working with the scientists can be difficult because you have to get everything exactly correct. Uh, and they don't, mm-hmm. and you know, they just don't want what they're saying misinterpreted. And, um, and that can be difficult because it can have a, the slightest changing of what they're saying can have a massively different, uh, connotation. And, uh, you know, to their colleagues, uh, that could be very damaging because their colleagues will not be, potentially happy about what they say or or that can be used against them because i don't think people realize you know just like people and ufo researchers argue about things uh, or disagree scientists are like that too and they can be very competitive or you know just very um 
I guess, passionate about uh, defending their particular stances. I am sure. I am sure. Um, you know, I was reading also this um, Astro 2020. It's a decadal, uh, decadal uh, survey on astronomy and astrophysics. This is the survey that they're filling out. Boy, mm. I'll tell you, your eyes go blurry after you're reading it for a while. But they, they're in part of it, they uh, refer to the uh, government shutdown, like they're delaying this and delaying that. And it's pretty interesting. But uh, this, there are six surveys um, I- involved in this. And boy, I tell you, when you're, you're right. When they write something, it is so detailed and down to the point. And so I can understand why they get upset if someone misquotes them or misreads what they're trying to say when they're trying to cover all the bases. Mm-hmm. So, so this was a survey uh, of astronomy and astrophysics. I don't know a whole lot about it. Was it finished? No, um, it's asking people to uh, contribute to it, basically, oh, you know, submit to it. Mm-hmm. And they, there's uh, white paper submissions and all that. See, this is exciting. What's exciting about this uh, is that kind of like what you just talked about in this story, there's a there's an openness to the idea of extraterrestrial civilizations and even visitation mm-hmm. among mainstream science that we've never had before. Um, Tabby Star, right. Omamua, yep. or uh, I think that's how you yep. say it, Omamua, Omamua. It's fun to say. You're probably that's. I think it's even Polynesian or something. So you're probably supposed to say Omamua. So um, (laughs) I can't think of a other. But there's been some other situations where it's been the scientists who have said, "Hey, this may be alien," and uh, and so there's yeah, just definitely a more of an opening. So it'll be interesting, and we have seen this in in different um, like when organizations have talked about their priorities. Uh, this, uh, like in that paper, this priority on the discovery of extraterrestrial life and even the um, theorizing uh, around extraterrestrial advanced civilizations that we may see some of that in these papers that are submitted. Yeah, Wright himself was uh, part of the group that was suggesting that the Tabby Star could have been, you know, surrounded by the alien megastructure um, but he was also part of the debunking of it when they got more of the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, you which know, is, I mean, that is, that's one thing, you know, science is supposed to be about. You exactly. Know, discovery, you change, you you don't hang on to something when, you know, when reality strikes. Yes, when, um, when data is discovered that counters what you, your suspicion, you know, you, your first priority is to um, examine that data and take it for what it is and, and figure out if it's real or not, unlike, you know, a lot of people who will then kill them or try to attack the messenger uh, right. of that data as opposed to looking at the data itself, um, especially if it, you know, counters their worldview. And Lord knows mm-hmm. we're used to that when it comes to kind of UFO mythologies that are out there. Mm. By the way, I use that term UFO mythology, and I want to speak to this uh, again, although I think we've done it before, but just to kind of, uh, especially when we're talking about science, and I would love to hear your perspective on this. Someone said, hey, I love, you know, the show, but you and Martin sound like you're skeptics, like you don't even believe in UFOs. (laughs) 
Uh, has have you been told that before? And what is your response? Um, I, I have been. I have been told that. And um, because I was actually, I had Tyler Rogaway on, and um, he was saying, you know, how there is so much out there that is real. Why, you know, why focus on um, when when something, you know, try to try, try to get rid of the debris that you can figure out what it is, so you don't have to bother wasting any time on that. And I said something like, "Wow, this is really what I like to hear." And I, I got I got a couple of emails from that boy. You are a you are a debunker, and you know, <laughs> I I think it's, I think he made the point for all of us, really. I mean, in what he said, you know, I mean, there is there is so much out there that can't be explained that is really good. Then why not just weed through the rest of it, and and you know the, the stuff that isn't good, just forget about it, and move on. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not good data, people, and that's what we're talking about. And it doesn't hurt to explore something you have not proven, um, even if mm-hmm. it is mythology. And I, I, I like that term because it's a good term, uh, in my humble opinion. Mythology it doesn't necessarily uh, mean it's not something that is real, but it is something that we discuss, kind of this reality that's been created that is not confirmed. Sometimes dubious, but sometimes it is confirmed. And uh, it doesn't hurt to explore those things and to let that guide your explanation or exploration. That's what scientists is, a theory or something observed but not proven. And then you try to discover what that is. But you got to follow the data and, and see what the data tells you and not just blindly accept um, information, even if you have counter data, because then that's more akin to a religion or, or a belief system. Uh, than it is to actual investigation, um, which again, you know, everybody has a right to believe whatever they want. But uh, when we're trying to research and discover something uh, about, uh, you know, the nature of, of some sort of phenomena like we are, then we, like Tyler said, don't waste your time with the bad information. Use the good information and see what you can find. And it's it's pretty much what a tip, you know, leading into what Nick and I are going to be talking about that they have done. You know, I'm sure just like myself, you got a lot of really positive email too. And one was very nice that came in the other day. Someone wrote and said, wow, you've been doing this for many years and you haven't sold out like so many others have. And I just thought, wow, what a really nice thing for someone to say. And, and, you know, and, and that goes, uh, I feel the same way about you. You haven't, you haven't sold out. You try to stick to the facts. Um, you're doing the UFO seriously um, show, which uh, I really appreciate. You know, and, and uh, um, anyway, I just think you know anyone can spin a tail and and spin a yard a yarn, as they say, and you know become very popular just because it's interesting and fascinating, and they can hold an audience and all that. But if you're going away from facts, you're not doing anyone and yourself, and especially the field, you're not doing any good to anyone. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you know what? I I, kind, I feel like um, I was going to – it's funny when you said that, when you said, I feel like you do that too because I was going to give you some kudos for, for the same reason that person did, that you haven't, you know, gone off um, and – 
into a tangent and you've stuck to the real information. And I, I would also say this. I think that it's important because this is a little bit of a niche. The mm. serious uh, really look at this topic. It's easy to make assumptions and speculate. And there are a lot of people out there doing that. And I, again, I do not necessarily fault those people. That is, uh, those sort of things can lead to discoveries. But there are less people doing like what that uh, person who wrote you said you're doing, which is sticking to their guns and trying to stick to the good information. And I feel that the community of people doing that is so small that it just makes me even more compelled to stick to that. First of all, it's journalistic and, and you know, um, mm. that's an important thing to me, but also because it is very revealing. I mean, here we have the real, when you're walking into, when you're doing an interview with, uh, which happens, you know, I get these calls from the news, uh, local and sometimes national. And when you're doing those interviews and when you have information that is established, um, and you can always do that. If they call about a situation that's more dubious, you can say, well, we don't have a lot to substantiate. That may be the case. However, mm. here's another case that this sort of thing has happened. And we have a lot of evidence to show that, you know, there's something mysterious related to this other case that is similar to the one you're talking about. And it allows you then to feed some information where then you're taken more seriously. And that goes a long way, a really long way. And that's why we've made some amazing headway, I think, in the last year uh, when it comes to mainstream science, like we just talked about, or media in this arena. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Exciting uh, times. It, yeah. I didn't set my timer. I have no idea how much time we have left. Is there, are we going to be talking about any other stories? Yeah, happening? we've got time. If you got time for another, we have two and a half minutes. Oh, I was going to ask you if you had anything. Oh, I've always got something. Let's see. <laughs> uh, what I, I uh huh. Okay. Well, um, there's been a lot of talk about the last episode on uh, Project oh, okay. Operation Paperclip. And we don't have to talk about that. Sure. But I wondered if you wanted to touch on that because uh, I watched the screener, I don't know, a month ago or something like that. And I thought, wow, um, you could skip this one. <laughs> um, and this bit, it's I've kind of seen some people talking about about it. And, and, and what is your feedback on that particular episode? So my review on Den of Geek of this episode started off. Uh, the truth or history be damned as Nazis invade Project Blue Book, um, because <laughs> probably what you're disappointed about, it really did uh, diverge greatly from the reality. Project Blue Book right. had nothing to do with some of this stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's this whole aspect where Mimi, Hynek's wife, is being uh, followed and, and invested, spied on by Russians, which is also far from the truth. In fact, I didn't get it in time for this article, but I'll include it in a future article. I asked Paul Hynek what he felt about that. I had already done that somewhat, but I didn't have the specifics of, you know, the content of the episodes. And he said, you know what? It doesn't bother me so much. I mean, that never happened. It is all made up, but I can see this is a fiction and why they would need to do that. It makes it exciting and intriguing. But yeah, certainly nothing like that ever happened with my mom. So yeah, um, yeah. Here's what I like about it, though, is that getting back to the mythology 
they're kind of paying at least some homage to the popular UFO mythologies out there. And I think even expertly and intelligently weaving them into the story. And in my last review, I highlight some of these various different kind of uh, mythologies out there that they weaved into the show. And I think this show served that purpose to kind of introduce all of this stuff but also make the audience think about alternative possibilities to the UFO phenomenon. For those reasons, I kind of enjoyed what they did. Plus, it did make it more exciting. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I was wondering where, where this whole Russian thing came from in, in this, in this series. Yeah, I mean, they really, nowhere. Yeah. practically nowhere. The Germans have Project Paperclip did happen. Uh, we right. don't know for certain that any of the projects, paperclip scientists who did build our, our space program had anything to do with UFOs, though. Um, I mean, there's a couple of rumors in the, out there, but we're out of time. You'll have to read my story on Den of Geek to find out more about that. But thank right. you very much for joining us again, Martin. Uh, always a pleasure here. All right. Let's go ahead. And after this break, we'll talk to Nick Pope. I am extremely happy to welcome back Nick Pope to the show. Hello, Nick. Hi there. You are a frequent guest, but, uh, well, always, I was going to say, especially now, but always, you have important things to say when it comes to uh, this field, and you've got something important going on right now as well, um, where you've received these documents. Uh, and maybe let's go over, if you don't mind, what these documents are and how you re receive them. Okay, this is essentially the latest news in the still unfolding and extremely complex story of the Pentagon's ATIP program. And we can get into all the controversy about the names and the roles later. But essentially, a few months ago, a Swedish a Swedish researcher, that's a bit of a tongue twister, <laughs> a Swedish researcher called Roger Glassell noticed a throwaway line in the congressional record dated April 9th last year. And it essentially said that the House Armed Services Committee had received a DIA letter on the outputs of the ATIP contract. So I saw that, as, as did a number of people. And I subsequently understand that Roger and a whole bunch of, of other researchers who are interested in this and uh, right across the story, um, Keith Basterfield, Paul Dean, John Greenwald, Kurt Collins, a number of others, maybe you did too, a whole bunch of people put in Freedom of Information Act requests for that letter. After all, it was cited in the congressional record. So they knew it was a thing. And uh, if Congress has seen it, why shouldn't we see it too? Fair enough. I thought I would go down a different route. So because I work now as a freelance journalist and write for many of the UK's national newspapers, I reached out to the DIA's Office of Corporate Communications. And I essentially asked the same thing. I said, I understand this letter exists. It's, it's here in the congressional record. 
sent from the DIA to Congress. I would like a copy, please. And we went back and forward on this, I have to say, for some months. And every every few weeks I would check in and say, is there any news on this? And uh, clearly there was a huge internal debate going on about the releasability. Finally, after months of toing and froing between myself and the DIA's Office of Communications, on January 16th this year, an email arrived into my inbox from the DIA saying, here's the letter. And what I received was a one-page cover letter, a one-page distribution letter, and a three-page attachment. And we can get into the details of all that in a moment. But I then took the decision on, on the basis of the fact that I knew that there was huge media and public interest in this, that rather than wait and try and write up this story, I I took the decision to immediately publish it. So I tweeted, I I, um, converted the PDF into a JPEG and I put it out on Facebook and Twitter almost immediately that I received it so that everyone could see the letter, could have the raw data. And I made over the course of the next few hours, a couple of follow-up tweets. And of course, that attracted the attention of various media outlets that follow my, my Twitter. And um, I, I subsequently was contacted by fellow journalists. I, I collaborated with some articles and some in, interestingly, as ever with this, it seems that the British newspapers were leading the charge. The Metro ran a piece on this. The Sun ran something. And then Fox News picked it up and I went on Tucker Carlson tonight to discuss this. But it's an extraordinary revelation. And it it really is, I think, a very important piece of the puzzle when it comes to the ongoing debate about ATIP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a a lot. We'll definitely dissect this uh, article um, another, I guess, as far as the revelation of these documents, um, the second source, uh, which was good because one, well, let's have you speak to this because this is kind of funny. And I was, I was actually, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised to hear. I think you tweeted about this. Some people were accusing you of having faked these documents. Well, yes, this this was uh, there were two parallel conspiracy theories. The first was that I had somehow just faked this document. Actually, that would have been a a criminal offense, actually. I think uh, faking or tampering with federal documents is is pretty serious crime. So I certainly would not go down that route. Um, That was one of the theories that I'd somehow faked the document. The second theory, and, and that's easily dealt with because I mentioned earlier that people like Roger Glassell and and Keith Basterfield and others had applied for this under the Freedom of Information Act. So had Stephen Aftergood from the Federation of American Scientists. And uh, the day after I published it, he actually published it and put it out there. So unless unless Stephen and I and (laughs) Roger Glassell and a whole bunch of other researchers had somehow gotten together and decided to to pull some immense prank on everyone, um, then that's a complete 
non-starter. Now we are in a situation where numerous journalists and researchers have acquired exactly the same thing from the Defense Intelligence Agency. The, the only difference was that I got it from their Office of Corporate Communications. Most other people, so far as I'm aware, received it from their Freedom of Information Office, but it is obviously the same letter, so that that's verifiable. The second related conspiracy theory, I guess this is a little harder to, to disprove, is that somehow I was working with the DIA as their sort of chosen conduit to get this this story out and that's why they chose to release to me first. I don't think that's true. I suspect that if we all sat down, we'd find that a number of people got it at about the same time. I simply chose to tweet it first. I thought in this 24 seven media society um, with social media being so important um, that, that I would just put it straight out there. So the fact that I broke the story doesn't mean that somehow I'm in cahoots with the dia on it but mm -hmm. uh, yes it was in, an interesting kind of twist to this tale and what's interesting i think is uh and i don't know if this has kind of struck you but it has me i, I just and we'll get into the details of the documents but just to kind of examine the ufo quote-unquote research community is that they are so conspiratorial. So no matter what comes out, there are these, like, there's this complete conspiracy that ATIP and, and Lou are kind of making things up, and this is a lie, and they're tricking us, uh, which is one of the problems for them that this document presents, because it is uh, kind of as if we didn't have enough. It's corroborating what Lou and Harry Reid and others have said. Um, but it's interesting that this... It's such a large pushback um, to this, you know, extraordinary kind of revelatory information around this actual government program. Yes, I think it is. And um, I have not actually spoken to Lou since this document came out. I mean, of course, I, I understand. Uh, I think maybe it was actually from you. I, I, I've had so many conversations about this in the last week or two. I apologize if I'm quoting your own conversation back to you. But uh, so somebody told me that Lou was pleased that this was out precisely because, uh, of course, it confirmed what, what he had been saying all along. Of course, I think it was ridiculous that anyone was would doubt that former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid and and a career intelligence officer like Lou would somehow have conspired to fool the world. Clearly they didn't. And clearly we now have absolute uh, proof. I mean, this the, the chain of custody, to use the, the current phrase of the moment, with this document is absolutely clear. DIA sent this document to Congress. There can no longer be any debate about this. And um, if, if this has given people like Lou, who, who is a loyal and patriotic guy, if it's given him a little bit of extra top cover that now the DIA has released this to Congress, so this at least is out there and can be talked about, then great. Yeah, exactly. It was me. And uh, yeah, I, I was able to do to talk to him just a couple of days ago. And he did say exactly that. Um, uh, that's a good way to put it. Uh, because, it, yeah, now he felt more comfortable to talk about this. And, and he has said, you know, he shouldn't be the conduit. He can't 
first of all. As you've said, he can't reveal anything that he is bound, you know, by a secrecy um, acts not to, uh, nor does he want to, because as you said, he's a, a loyal patriot. Um, but when situations like this happen, then it does allow him to speak to those things um, more. It, yes, it does. And he's used the phrase, uh, I think many times, that what he would like to see is a, a conversation with the American people about this. And now yeah. we have this letter to Congress. I think this is a a hook, another hook, but a, a more substantial hook perhaps than we've ever had before uh, on which to hang that conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, the other aspect is that something similar to these documents has been released before, and it was a leak from George Knapp uh, and KLAS in Las Vegas. But there is an important distinction between what you received and and what George had posted earlier, and so maybe you could talk to that. Sure thing. Well, George Knapp has obviously done – a lot of excellent investigative journalism on this story. Also, he is somebody who is closely connected with a number of the key players in in this this whole situation. Some time ago, as you say, George acquired and put out a a list of uh, what what appeared to be DIRDs, defense intelligence reference documents related to the ATIP program, and it was partially redacted, and of course it was slightly sanitized, and in terms of its provenance, this speaks to what you were saying about, well, people people have been skeptical about this, people have been doubting this. Um, I'm not going to get into, and I don't know, and I wouldn't want to know how George acquired those those documents, but if anyone was doubting George, and and the, the list that he'd acquired, what I acquired a week or so ago from the DIA completely vindicated George Knapp because essentially it's the same list. It's, it's just – it's slightly different. One of the items that was uh, redacted in the original is, is now unredacted. A, a little bit of the formatting and things is different. But you can, th- you can do – a comparative analysis between what I've acquired and what George Knapp acquired some some time ago, and and it's it's clearly the same thing. So this I think vindicates what George Knapp and KLAS put out some time ago. Mm-hmm. But now now we have it officially from the DIA. This is not a leak. This is released officially under the Freedom of Information Act on a press officer to journalist basis in in my case and it's now out there and it's completely de- legitimate and we can begin to have a conversation about this and try and unpick what it all means mhm and that is something that you've been paying attention to uh, and, and as I think an important note that we have received very, very, very little officially regarding ATIP. Sure, we've hear, heard from Lou. We've heard from witnesses to the Nimitz encounter that was in that New York Times article that revealed all of this. We've heard from Harry Reid. Uh, so this is anecdotal information. Uh, we've gotten leaks uh, from George Knapp but, uh, and some information shared by To The Stars. But very little officially, which which it makes this document um, one of the very few official 
pieces of information other than these little kind of breadcrumbs that you've also been able to find and others uh, in other documents? Yes, I think if, if I was asked to list what we have by way of ATIP paperwork officially confirmed as opposed to just rumor, I would say it's this five-page letter from the DIA to Congress. And by the way, of course, it went to the late John McCain as, as chairman of the Armed Services Committee, and it went to the ranking member, Jack Reed. And the the distribution list is interesting, too. I mean, it, it, a wider than I had expected distribution list. It went to the speaker. It, it went to the minority leader, the, the, the majority and minority whips. It went to the Armed Services Committee, the Select Committee on Intelligence, uh, the Appropriations Committee. Uh, it really did go far, far and wide. But yes, in terms of what we have officially, we have this letter. We have Harry Reid's June 24th, 2009 letter to a deputy defense secretary. And and we have, frankly, apart from that, we just have a few emails from press officers at the DOD confirming that, yes, ATIP was a program. And that's about it. It's mm-hmm. about it. Right, exactly. So there's very, very little officially. Um, the great thing is, is that everything that has been coming out officially, for the most part, um, besides a couple of comments, I guess, from the press, uh, DOD press um, representative, they have been supportive or corroborative of what Reed, uh, Elizondo, and Knapp's leaks have all been in line Yes, they have. And that's, of course, one of the great things that any intelligence analyst will tell you is is that when you have corroboration from from multiple sources, that's that's an important uh, part of the story. Now, of course, one has to guard against collusion in those scenarios. But yes, yeah, so far, this all looks good. Mm-hmm. And then I, I will touch on this because I did uh, allude to it just a second ago. One, um, I guess, disparity is, uh, and John Greenwald certainly makes a big point of this. I think he was one of the main people to kind of get to this. Is that you know the, the at least regarding the videos that were released by the New York Times and to the Stars, uh, Lou has said that you know the DoD released these videos. That's what the New York Times actually has said. That's what Leslie Kane said. She received those from a, a third party, not from uh, Elizondo or to the Stars, and so. Uh, however, the press uh, representative, this major, I can't remember her, her name, has told people and has told Greenwald that uh, they did not release those videos. I personally have seen a document that has not been made public yet that does show that the DOD released the video. So that's still one area of contention where hopefully we'll receive some official um, word on that. But what is your thoughts on that situation? Yes, I have seen, I don't think there are any problems. Well, you know what, I'm not going to name her because usually when, even though the name is in the public domain, usually when I deal with the press office uh, of, of any organization, the the kind of convention is that it's on a non-attributable basis. In other words, you can confirm that you received it from the press officer, but you're not supposed to then publish their emails and put their name out there. But I have seen those emails. And for example, I've seen 
I've seen an email from one of the DOD press officers talking about the name discrepancy. We, we've had, of course, the whole debate about advanced aerospace threat identification program, advanced aviation uh, threat identification program, advanced aerospace threat and identification mm -hmm. program, and, of course, ORSAP. Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program. And I've seen some emails which basically say things like, you know, just just an alternative name for ATIP or, you know, same same uh, same program, basically uh, ATIP, the, the official name. But yes, I have seen an email where that particular press officer says words to the effect of uh, we did not release those videos. I think, of course, without wanting to disparage any press officer, and very often you're dealing with a situation where the press off, well, the press officer is never the subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. So the press officer is getting advice on, on whatever questions come in from journalists from the subject matter expert or experts. And if any of this relates to intelligence programs, then you don't even necessarily in the press office get the full story, uh, mm -hmm. particularly if uh, my own theory about this was that that these videos were kind of put out there as as almost like a uh, a teaser, almost uh, like, uh, hey, we've looked at this and we don't have any ideas. Let's put them out onto specialist aviation forums and and kind of see if anyone else see if we can't leverage and weaponize the um, knowledge and, and experience of the aviation community out there. So I, I suspect they did release them, but not necessarily through the normal official channels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, what's interesting about all of this as well, and I think you can speak to this, and, and I feel like at least with some of you uh, in the UFO research community, um, they just kind of don't get this, is that the media has not had a problem with that issue. The media has gone essentially to the subject experts who are Lou Elizondo and Harry Reid. And for the most part, the media has taken their word for all of this and kind of overlooked kind of the, the, what the press department had said, which makes sense to me because, as you mentioned, you know, they are the subject matter experts and uh, they seem to have enough credibility where the media is happy with working with them and, and what they have to say. Yes, and the bottom line, of course, right at the beginning of all of this, the New York Times would never have run this had they not then sat down with someone in the press office and said, this is what we've got, this is what we're going to run, but we do need you to confirm that ATIP existed. And, and albeit begrudgingly, absolutely, they confirmed, yes, there's a program. Now, I think the really interesting question comes when we discuss, well, yes, ATIP exists, that's now indisputable, but what was its true nature? And, and I'm sure we're going to get into that. We are, because uh, although it's, it's a bit subtle, these documents you found uh, do give us a great insight into that. But before that, you did mention all of the different names uh, for the acronym of ATIP. And uh, do you make anything of the acronym used in uh, this letter is at the Advanced Aerospace Threat and Identification Program, which is essentially what, again, Elizondo has been telling us. Uh, they just added that three-letter word and in there. Um, do you make anything of that? 
Not really. Having served for 21 years in government, I know that these sorts of bureaucratic um, things happen all the time. Projects get renamed. Projects have a colloquial name as opposed to an official name. Somebody slips an and in there. You know, even even when you look at internal documents from the organization owning the program, sometimes things Things change. And, and then you find out people are working in silos. So some manager comes along and says, you know what, I'm going to merge these two programs and you get another name. I don't think we should get too hung up on on that sort of thing. I mean, yes, details are important. But if someone's going to try and try and pour cold water on the whole story just because somebody says aerospace and somebody else says aviation or just because somebody slips an and in there then I, I don't think that's significant right that's kind of chasing uh, an insignificant point and then overlooking all of what is significant and there is a lot of significant um, information in these documents and and that's what I'm real another thing I'm excited to talk to you about um, to get your analysis but before we do that we do have to take a short break so for those of you listening on KGRA or any other radio station you'll hear uh, some commercials the rest of you will just hear a short musical interlude and we'll be right back with Nick Pope Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm here with Nick Pope, and we were are talking about these uh, documents that he got from the Defense Intelligence Agency, which essentially go over what uh, the products or dirts uh, that were used by uh, the the ATIP program. So, when you look at this list, what does it tell you? Well, I want to back up a okay. moment and look at the, the cover letter before I look at the attachment, because this, to me, is the most interesting part of the story. And this is the part that I think, uh, with my government background, it leapt out at me straight away. And there is a total disconnect between what's said to Congress in the cover letter and what the list of attachments actually says. And Here's the thing. If you look at the cover letter, they have this line and they say the purpose of ATIP was to investigate foreign advanced aerospace weapon threats from the present out to the next 40 years. So in other words, here's what happened, I, I think. Congressional staffers were just as intrigued as everyone else to read the New York Times story about ATIP when it, it first broke just over a year ago. And many of those congressional staffers, and particularly on, on the uh, Senate and House Armed Services Committee, they, of course, as you would expect a good staffer to do, culture of no surprises, no staffer wants their boss asked about something and they don't have the answer. So the staffers reached out to the DIA and said, hey, you know, we, we've seen in the New York Times and the Post, and everyone's talking about this ATIP program. What the heck are you guys doing? We need we need some briefing on this in case in case somebody like 
John McCain or Jack Reed gets asked. So DIA then sent um, the the, um, the letter. And, and as I say, they had this phrase and they, they said the purpose of ATIP was to investigate foreign advanced aerospace weapon threats from the present out to the next 40 years. If you're receiving that letter, what will you think? I think what I would think is, well, this this is it is as it says. It's it's looking, it's a next generation aerospace program, mm-hmm. an intelligence program looking at the, the sorts of threats the United States might face over the next forty years. And you would think they were probably talking about aircraft, missiles, and drones, Russians, Chinese, Iranians, North Koreans, etc. So that's what the cover letter says. Then you look at the list of attachments and you get into this surreal X-Files territory because Mm -hmm. the list of attachments covers subjects including anti-gravity, invisibility cloaking, stargates, warp drive, and wormholes. And if I was sitting in Congress, I would say, well, wait a minute, there is a total disconnect. You're telling us or you're implying to us that this is an aerospace program, but an awful lot of this doesn't sound particularly like aerospace. This sounds like space travel. I mean, advanced nuclear propulsion for manned deep space missions. Mm-hmm. I mean, why are we talking about manned deep space missions if this is just an air, an aerospace program? Right. Um, and it's kind of – it's – well, what's interesting if you're like, okay, what foreign um, entities are, are they speaking about? If you were to look at the list like you're talking about, you would be like, wow, they're talking about space. They're talking about uh, yes. something foreign to this planet apparently. And- Exactly. And looking down the list of 38 attachments, there are no papers on things like Chinese factory capacity. There are no papers on things like Russian engineering skills. There are no papers on North Korean ballistic missile aspirations. There are no papers on Iranian leadership strategic aviation plans. Nothing. There is nothing on Russian, Chinese, Iranian, North Korean, anyone else, aircraft, missiles, drones or satellites. This is all this is all about deep space travel. And the absolute the absolute smoking gun is that one of these one of these papers is about the Drake equation. Now, as you know, the Drake equation formulated by the astronomer, the radio astronomer Frank Drake, is a mechanism whereby an attempt is made to calculate how many communicable civilizations there might be in the universe. Well, look, if this if this program was about Russian and Chinese drones, you would not have a paper on the Drake equation <laughs> as one of the products produced under the contract, would you? Mm-hmm. It It's... It's a total disconnect. So, in other words, what we are dealing with here is is what I would call spin. The the DIA and the DOD 
have attempted since this revelation came out to spin this as yes we did all right it's a fair cop you've got us there was an ATIP program but it's it's really just looking at next generation aerospace threats and yet now we have official the official list of reference documents the answer is no that's not what they were looking at at all and i hope i hope that the people sitting on the senate armed services committee and and the house armed services committee pushed back against that and spotted exactly what I spotted straight away and said, wait a minute, people, you know, there's a total disconnect between what you've told us this program is and the 38 things that, that you list as reference documents. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And, well, there's a lot more to get into that way, but uh, because it does, and, and a lot of people have made this comparison that it reads like an X-Files kind of department um, which in a way it was more so than I think the media has really caught on actually fully. But uh, after Good, who you mentioned earlier of the Federation of American Scientists, he uh, told Fox News, I think you're in this story as well, that uh, this is the – here's a quote. The, are the, these are the kind of – actually told this to Motherboard. These are the kinds of topics you pursue when you have more money than you know what to do with. Well, I don't agree with that. I think that anyone involved in advanced programs of any nature is is always or should always be prepared to think the unthinkable. And and this is what we call in, in government, even if we think it's unlikely, um, the payoff, if any of this comes to fruition, is immense. We call it low probability, high impact. Now, sure, a lot of a lot of what they were looking at under ATIP is, is what you would call some fairly far out theoretical physics. Some would probably call it fringe science. Does that mean we shouldn't be doing it? Absolutely not. I mean, government looks at all of this in terms of threats and opportunities. The opportunity, if, if we can get any of this to work, is immense. The threat, if somebody else gets this to work, like the Russians and the Chinese, and we are not looking at it, is immense. But but I think that's that's just one side of it. The other side, going back to names, given that there is this disconnect between what they implied and what they actually did, the question arises, is foreign in the context of how the DIA used the term actually the latest euphemism for what the public would call UFOs? Yeah, which I, I think we have ran into um, in the past as well, uh, certainly with, um, you know, foreign technology division. Uh, it, it is at Wright-Patterson, of course, where Project yes. Blue Book was. And so there's always kind of been this relationship um, there. In fact, of course, we've got the alleged stories of or, or the stories of, of Colonel Corso that are, are pretty wild uh, but he, of course, says he came across this information while working uh, with the Division of Foreign Technology. Um, so it there is a, something to be said that it would make sense that uh, this would be a, a, the the kind of department tasked with looking at an unknown, you know, technology. Yes, and in one sense, if you're sitting running a program looking at aerial threats, I know this might sound 
fantastical to people, but in one sense, you don't, well, you do care, but it, it doesn't matter whether the threat comes from Russia or China or from somewhere considerably further afield. If there's something in your airspace, you want to know what it is. And, and clearly, they were studying a number of, of unknowns. And indeed, the only time that the DOD didn't try to spin this was in a, a couple of emails to researchers where as well as using this term, um, and, and there are variations on it, like far-term foreign advanced aerospace threats, they did throw in for good measure, including anomalous events such as sightings of aerodynamic vehicles engaged in extreme maneuvers with unique phenomenology reported by US Navy pilots or other credible sources. So you can, if you look hard, find a couple of places where they've gone further than than saying that this is just about Russians and Chinese. But you have to look carefully. Mm -hmm. um, what's also interesting is that this report came out. And uh, as you've noted before, and, and last time we had you on was after your, your article in The Guardian, um, this doesn't seem to have completely scared away uh, those in Washington who, who may have an interest? No. The Senate Armed Services Committee is, I believe, still looking at this. They've taken evidence from some of the U.S. Navy personnel involved in the Nimitz incident, for example. Whether any of this congressional interest will translate into formal congressional hearings, public or otherwise, I don't know. That, I think, is the, well, one of the current big unanswered questions about all this. What's going on behind the scenes? Let's not forget, Congress have had this letter for, for over a year now. I think a couple of people have misread the date. It's not January 9th, 2019. It was January 19th, uh, January 9th last year. Right. It's just it's taken, taken that long to get the darn thing out into the public domain. So clearly... All the, the Armed Services Committee um, has, has had this, and, and others in Congress have had this for a while. What's going on behind the scenes? That's, that's an interesting question. Right, exactly. Because uh, even that, that document you said that clued you into this was from April. So uh, this thing is kind of persisting and, and making the rounds, which, again, going back to... Um, what Lou has said. I mean, I think that, that it's really important in that here again, we have information officially that is corroborating everything that Lou is telling us. And I feel in speaking with him that he has been honest, um, careful in choosing his words to make sure he is accurate and, uh, and, and you know, letting people know when he is speculating and so that gives you know him more credibility, and he's writing like uh, on Medium, or, or and they're posting these on To the Stars. That their goal is essentially to grease the wheels of government to get more information like this out and have the people responsible for the different uh, aspects of investigation or paying attention or working with the public to be doing that. And what's interesting is that we are seeing this. Um, kind of behind the scenes thing happening. So it's a bit exciting. Um, and would you say it would be accurate to say that uh, it looks like wheels are being greased, that there is some movement 
uh, behind the scenes in D.C., you know, in Washington um, on this topic. Yes, I, I think there is. Uh, Lou, like any good intelligence officer, is careful to differentiate between what he thinks and what he knows. He's also very careful, like me, when you've been involved in those sorts of programs, there's a line and you don't cross that line. So, so you can encourage Congress to take an interest and when, when the, the agencies themselves release paperwork, you can speak to it, but you can't preempt that process. Uh, so, so it is, I know, I, I get that people are frustrated with this and they want things to move quicker, but my goodness, if people kind of realized something about government, you know, they should realize sometimes how slowly it moves, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, small moves and those small moves I think are going on behind the scenes. And I know that Lou and others are, are going to continue to be involved in that process, but mm -hmm. all of this absolutely vindicates uh, what he said it, it vindicates what harry reed has said and clearly this story has only now been out there the, the, about the letter to congress for a, a week or so it's still early days there there are a lot of journalists and researchers still digesting this and uh, a, a lot more um, questions have to be asked a lot more FOI requests are going in. I know that. So interesting times. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you uh, have, are in sort of a similar position to Lou, and, and we've talked about that quite a bit. That's why we had you come and speak when, you know, uh, to analyze his, his uh, interview with us at the International UFO Congress last year. But it seems that uh, you can kind of identify and I wonder if this is accurate, that you've kind of taken a different approach in that you have chosen to more, uh, since you're a media savvy person, kind of grease the wheels in the public arena more so. Uh, go public to talk about the credibility of different cases and, and of the mystery, as opposed to working behind the scenes to kind of uh, grease the, the, the very slow uh, wheels of, of bureaucracy. I've done a bit of both. I certainly have, particularly in the early days, did did a lot of of um, kind of behind the scenes work that can probably never be be publicized, and that has you know played out in things like the declassification and release of the MOD's UFO files and and a number of other things. I have an advantage over Lou on on this. And that is the fact that the British government has now declassified and released most of its files, not all, but most. And because I've got 60,000 pages worth of documents that my former bosses put out there, many of which I wrote, I have a little bit more leeway, I guess, to speak publicly about this. Lou has really only got like a handful of documents that are out there and has to be more careful. So, so I think um, when... If and when the DOD and the DIA release more ATIP paperwork, I think and I fully hope that we will see and hear more of Lou as he is more able to speak out about this. But I think it goes back to this point. You know, he's careful. He's loyal. He's patriotic. He's not going to speak about documents that aren't out there yet. So that's that's why I think there's a there's a difference between him and I at the moment. 
Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And it goes back to kind of the other thing uh, we talked about where we don't have much in the way of official information about the program. And uh, even uh, he's careful to speak about leaked documents because leaked, of course, is not something that's officially released because really we have nothing regarding any of their UFO work except for a leaked document that's sort of an analysis of the Nimitz situation. But, of course, Lou is careful to speak to that uh, because it, it is a leaked document, although, you know, Fravor and others have confirmed that it is accurate. Uh, so, we, but we still have no idea about any of the other cases that they've looked into. Uh, and Lou says there's some extraordinary stuff. He He's even said there's some better stuff than Nimitz. So, there's still a lot more to be discovered, hopefully. Absolutely. And there are still in the system, let's not forget, I think over 3,000 Freedom of Information Act requests relating to ATIP. And those, those aren't going to go away. I mean, we, we were able to get this letter to Congress simply because it was very high profile. And I think they had to fast track that because it was in the congressional record. But from the day the New York Times ran that story, request after request after request went in. And although I've heard some suggestion that we we may be later this year or even 2020 or beyond, as I say, they haven't gone away. So I hope that we will we will get more ATIP paperwork. No, no program looking at this, whatever its nature, doesn't generate paperwork. Mm hmm. And according to Lou, ATIP is still ongoing. Uh, and would it be true that because it is ongoing, that will kind of hamper our ability to get information out of it since it's an ongoing concern? Yes, I, I think that's, um, you know, that's part of it. I mean, of course, this is where there is a, a, um, a discrepancy or, or certainly disagreement because Lou is very clear. The program is extant. We were never stood down. When you look at some of the DOD statements, they, they try to say or they imply at the very least that, that the plug was pulled on this. But that may simply mean the funding plug. There are always – when you investigate UFOs, most of what you do doesn't need additional funds because all the things you need – like the military radar system, like the imagery analysis resources and capabilities, they are already there. They are already funded. But yes, uh, assuming that ATIP or something like it, maybe it's changed names again to throw people off the trail, I wouldn't discount that. Uh, if it is still extant, then then yes, that, that makes disclosure more difficult. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that we're out of time, and uh, I thank you so much for coming on. The time absolutely flew. I think that all of this is such important information in analyzing and understanding what's going on. So very, very many thanks for uh, your efforts to get this documentation uh, to the public quickly and uh, for analyzing it and sharing your expert opinion. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Nick Pope for joining us on the show. You can just Google Nick to find his website, and he's got lots of great stuff there. I would highly, highly recommend it. It's wonderful that he's out there doing things like talking to Fox News, and they take him so seriously 
as they should, because it's rare, you know, to have an opportunity to talk to somebody in the government who actually investigated UFOs. Of course, in this case, as you can tell by his accent, Nick investigated UFOs with the UK government, the Ministry of Defense, uh, which always kind of makes me chuckle, makes me think of the Ministry of Magic. But that's what's exciting about all of this. If you listen to Lou Elizondo and what they've been up to, it is kind of technology so advanced it's almost magical that they believe that they've been able to witness when they're observing these unidentified objects. And certainly that list that Nick just talked about includes some really strange stuff, some magical uh, science that is going on in this field. So it is all very, very exciting. And I think it's great that, uh, you know, we have him as a resource. And unfortunately, I really think this is an area we should all be paying a lot more attention to because there's going to be a lot more very interesting uh, revelations, I think, coming forward. And the guy in the middle of all these revelations is Mr. Lou Elizondo. We'll have him on the podcast soon. We've got other great shows coming up, so stay tuned. Be sure to follow me on uh, social media and our Open Mind social media because I'm sharing updates on everything on a regular basis. I also have a blog, AlejandroTRojas.com, that I've started where I'm going to be posting everything that I write about from space to UFOs so you can find it all in one place. Another great outlet for UFOs is the International UFO Congress, so UFOCongress.com. There is a blog, and we've been more active in putting information on that blog at UFOCongress.com. And of course, there's super cool new products there all of the time. We've got a lot of really exciting stuff going on with the Congress, not just related to the next event, but also our store and other really cool stuff that we've been involved with. So lots going on there. Please do check them out on uh, social media, and uh, you can, of course, see me retweet and reshare a lot of that stuff as well if you're looking for where to find that. But it's pretty easy. You search UFO Conference, and you're going to find us because we're the biggest deal in town when it comes to UFO conferences. So, uh, And you'll see why, especially that we're going to stay in that uh, listing as the number one once you see the speakers that we'll have up. And we'll have some of those listed in the next month or so. So very exciting stuff going on. Stay tuned. Thank you so much to Martin for joining us with the news at the beginning of the show. I also want to thank the people up at Big Bear uh, Alien Snowfest. Uh, UFO Congress was out there. It was a lot of fun. You'll also be able to see us at the Conscious Life Expo in just a couple weeks. We'll have a booth out there with lots of our cool stuff. And any of you listeners who want to come out or maybe who are uh, regulars because they get so many people to that thing, uh, come and say hi. I'll be there working at the table with Karen. So come say hi to us and uh, check out what we got. Otherwise, I want to say thanks to Caleb Hanks, who creates the opening and close music. A lot of people ask me, what's that cool music? That's Caleb Hanks at the Open Minds UFO radio page on the Open Minds website. You can see a link. Otherwise, you can just Google Caleb Hanks and you'll find him on Patreon where he's sharing a lot of his cool music on a regular basis. So check that out. Also, thank you to Systematics for the bumper music. And of course, as usual, thank you, the listeners, for being here every week. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you and share this great information. Until next time, adios muchachos.